You're listening to The Issues Podcast. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. This is an episode of The Issues Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Russ, Tom Brennan, and Martin Wickens. Welcome to another episode of the Issues Podcast, and this is an exciting day. We have a first for the podcast here on the Issues Podcast, and this is something that between the hosts we have considered and contemplated for a long time, um, but just for whatever reason, you know, had never actually executed on it. And so today is a, a really awesome opportunity to add a guest. I want to talk about the guest here in just a few moments, but the subject of the day is even more important. We want to talk about the importance of missions work in the local church and really specifically we're going to talk about the missionary partnerships between local churches and missions uh, missionaries on the field. And so we're grateful today to be able to introduce a guest to you. I'm going to kick it to Tom and Tom, why don't you tell us who we have with us today? Absolutely. Our guest today is Ben Sinclair, Executive Director of Baptist World Missions, a native of the state of Indiana. Dr. Sinclair came to Christ at the age of 12, having grown up in a Christian home. Within a year, he would surrender to preach the gospel. He attended Northland beginning in the fall of 1995, where after his first year, he became a counselor at Camp Joy in Wisconsin. It was through ministry at that camp he experienced God's call to missions. After completing Bible college and after various survey trips and deputation, he and his wife arrived in Cameroon in 2004. In the past 19 years there, they've planted five churches, been instrumental in helping plant five independent Baptist churches, and also established a Bible college. In late 2022, Baptist World Missions announced Dr. Sinclair had been chosen as their new executive director. He formally takes the position in April of this year. Baptist World Missions serves 275 missionaries in 51 different countries. Ben and his wife, Becca, have been married for 23 years. The Lord has blessed them with four children, Drew, Kate, Emma, and Faith Ann. The older two are students at Ambassador and Crown College, respectively. It has been my privilege to know Ben as both a supporting pastor and as a friend, and I'm delighted that he could be our first guest on the Issues Podcast. Yes, and I love that part about um, the Indiana native you know, fellow Hoosier <laughs> here with us today. So uh, I, before we get into the interview, I think that myself and Tom are the only two who have actually met um, Mr. Sinclair, or as Tom called him, Dr. Sinclair. I want to I want to get that right. So Dr. Sinclair. Uh, That's what I think the website we've, we've says. Met. Yeah. And I, yeah, so... <laughs> I had to do okay. that. That was part of his agreement. He made me. He made me promise to do that before he came on. Right, right. There you go, Martin. You've never met, right? No, we've never met in person, but we've been friends online for a little while, and I've enjoyed our interactions. So, um, yes. it's it's good to put a a face to the name through this, you know, conference call. But looking forward to meeting him in person one day. Yes, absolutely. Well, I know that we met um, Brother Sinclair through Faith Music Missions here, and he and his family recorded a wonderful album with us, just beautiful voices, beautiful harmonies, and that's kind of where a lot of that started, and we have a lot of mutual friends. Um, and so it's really awesome to be able to do this. I, I know that you're kind of our guinea pig, and this is the first time that we've you know, had a guest and all that, but we want you to feel comfortable and at home, and we appreciate uh, you taking time out of your busy schedule as a missions director to come on and be a part of this podcast. So to get started, Brother Sinclair, we would love to hear a little bit about where you currently minister and all of that. Um, but in an effort to give our listeners a complete picture, we really probably should start with your testimony, your call to missions, as well as um, however much you'd like to share about your family. Uh, so why don't you just start with your salvation and kind of work through your testimony and, and tell us about your family and we'll continue on. Very good. I want to say thank you to you men for inviting me on, and uh, this is a great joy and opportunity, and I'm grateful for that. Um, as uh, was just mentioned by Brother Tom there, I did grow up in Indiana in a Christian home, but uh, growing up in a Christian home does not make you a child of God, and it took me some years to realize that. It wasn't until I was 12. Uh, evangelist came to our church and shared his testimony. And kind of like I'm doing right now. And I realized that uh, all the changes that took place in his life had not really 
taken place in my life. And so as a 12-year-old boy, went home from that service and got on my knees and repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he saved me. And everything changed. Everything changed. And so within the next year, the Lord uh, called me to preach. I began to seek the Lord like never before because uh, I was his child and had that new heart. And um, again, as was mentioned, I went to Bible college, prepare myself to serve the Lord full time and serving the Lord in the summer at camp. Uh, a pastor was preaching uh, from Matthew chapter 28 and I surrendered to missions. And so went back to college, changed my major to missions and had to take a missions trip, a missionary apprenticeship program somewhere. And the Lord just clearly opened the door to this place that I'd never even heard of before, Cameroon in West Africa. And I went on that trip and knew right away that God was leading me and calling me to that place. I went back again the next year as a college student again and took some more students with us. And we had just had another wonderful trip. And so um, got to know my wife during that time. She was a college student. We traveled on a musical ministry team together. And so we met and found out that God had already led in her life at 13 to be a missionary in Africa. And I knew God was leading me to Cameroon. And so that worked out beautifully. And uh, we got married the month after we graduated from college and uh, got involved in our local church, taught in the Christian school, worked with the youth and the young adults, and uh, then launched out with Baptist World Mission from our local church. A couple years of deputation, a year of language study, and we landed in Cameroon in 2004. And so I think a good summary was was just given there by Brother Tom, uh, involved in church planning for years and uh, Bible college training young men and women to do the same. And uh, yeah, this was definitely unexpected, this new position at uh, Baptist World Mission. This uh, was voted just in October. And uh, so we just closed on a house on Tuesday and uh, looking forward to the painting process and all that. But uh, yeah, going through this transition, excited about uh, helping missionaries around the world do what we've been doing in Cameroon uh, the last couple decades and very, very excited about that. Can I put in a plug for Baptist World? Is that all right to kind of give an idea oh, yes. of what uh, we're doing? All right. Absolutely. So Baptist World Mission is headquartered here in Decatur, Alabama. Uh, we serve local churches and uh, their missionaries. So we serve 275 missionaries in about 50, 51 different countries. And I'm excited about the 4,000 supporters that participate in partnering with our 275 missionaries. And so I wow. have a passion to encourage that partnership with each of those partners and sending churches with their missionaries. And I'm excited about this podcast and the opportunity to talk about that a little bit. Amen. Tom, you said you had something you wanted to interject. So if I could take you back a little bit um, to being a teenager and and working through the call to preach, and then as a college student, the call to missions. Um, some of our listeners are in that age bracket or in that group. Um, how would you, could you expand a little more on how you, okay, I shouldn't say assume, I'm assuming that it wasn't just the one sermon from Matthew 28 that led to you surrendering to missions. Can you expand a little bit on how that thought process worked or how the Lord worked on your heart? Um, not necessarily by events, but just what the Lord impressed on you or how he worked on you about that? Well, the call to preach was definitely a process. I w I'm very shy in my personality, and I really fought with God, literally. I mean, fought with God and my thoughts and my uh, prayers and my devotions, every message, until I finally surrendered that. That was a months, months-long uh, process. But the... Um, the uh, call to missions really was kind of kind of a shock. I was surrendered to the Lord, so that that is a process. That's a daily decision. Um, I was counseling, and it was a family camp. My mind was not really focused on on that type of. I was mm -hmm. not expecting to be confronted. But Matthew chapter twenty eight. Even though I grew up in Christian home, Christian educated, I'm in a Bible college. I am so embarrassed to say that was the first time in my life I realized the Great Commission was a command. I mean, I just I just mm. thought it was for missionaries or hadn't really processed that. 
And when I realized God said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them and planting churches, and that was our command to go into all, I realized, wait a minute, if I'm waiting for some special sign from the sky, uh, I've got the written word of God right here. And uh, almost like I need a special call to stay in uh, in where I grew up, if if that's what God has for me, because I've been commanded to go. And so that's really how I processed it that night. It was a shock to me. And I said, Lord, I'm, I'm going to go. If you want me to stay, you show me, you direct me, you're good at doing that, and uh, I'll follow. And so I've been going ever since. <laughs> Did you counsel with anybody in that process? Did you talk to your pastor, your dad, your any of that? I'm not criticizing you if you didn't. I'm just trying to understand. Um. Definitely my pastor. Um, it wasn't, uh, it w- I'm not sure the exact question, you know, where you mean counsel in the next steps to take or. Well, well, I mean, in the sense of try to try to work through it, you know, with with some mentorship or with someone else to give you some external perspective on what the Lord was doing in your life, calling you. I, I think there was a, a process at uh, Bible College and uh, Northland was a phenomenal missions Bible college. And so that was cultivated and directed that philosophy and so forth. Um, and I had different mentors there, but no, no one specifically that, uh, pulled me aside from that evening, um, to, to encourage that. I think I'm more thankful that nobody discouraged it. I think, especially when I was younger (laughs) at, uh, 13, I remember one time I was in a, a church on deputation and there was, there was only one guy in the church that knew me from high school. So the pastor said, well, why don't you introduce him? And so he said, oh, we're, we're, I'm so glad Brother Ben's here today. We used to play basketball together. We used to do this and that in high school. And I am so looking forward to him speaking because I cannot believe God called him to be a preacher. <laughs> he said he was so shy and so quiet. I, I just, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I'm shocked. So I'm, I'm just thankful that nobody discouraged me Uh uh, you know, are you sure this is what God's do? You know, that yeah. kind of a thing that would have been devastating. So, well, that's funny because the day that I walked forward in a church service actually was camp and I knelt at an offer altar and a, a counselor came over. It was actually my uncle and which Tom, you know, my uncle and he, he walked over and said, why'd you come forward? Cause he had heard the invitation. And I said, I believe God wants me to preach. And he said, are you sure? <laughs> But you know, God used that too. And I appreciate you sharing that about your call. And and there's an interesting, there are interesting kind of nuanced ideas out there about um, what is the call to any particular ministry. I've even heard some say that, that God doesn't call a woman to a specific location or ministry. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I don't know that we can say that that's true because your wife had already surrendered at the age of 13 to go to Africa and God brought you two together. So God can do those things. I mean, that's, that's what it was for you. So absolutely. I love that. Um, could you just for a few moments, maybe go into detail for us a little bit about, you mentioned two decades in Cameroon. And I think uh, it would just be good for our listeners to know what it was like to live on the mission field, specifically in Africa, in Cameroon, what was it like for your family? What was it like really raising your family there? I mean, that 20 years, and I've met your kids, by the way. I was going to say something about them. I mean, some of the greatest uh, greatest missionary kids I have ever met are the Sinclair the kids. They are so much fun, and we loved having you all here. It was the day after the, after you were here that your, uh, your ministry change took place. And so we got to be kind of present for some of that. And and your kids just have such a great testimony and their spirit and their attitude is so awesome. But you had to raise your family. You got to raise your family on the mission field. And I'd yes. just like to hear about Cameroon. I'd like to hear about the experiences there with your family and some of the things that God used to shape your lives throughout the experience of your ministry. We do, we do look at it as a privilege. You said we got to raise our kids there. And that's true. That is how we view it. The first term... Um, we only had three and they were all uh, two toddlers and a three month old. So that, I mean, that was, that was huge for my wife. I mean, she, she had to learn to cook all over again, the pressures, uh, learning a new culture, learning 
uh, I mean, just getting situated, our home was an absolute disaster. The, the ceiling was falling in and one of the rooms in our house had been used as the pigsty, uh, literally kept pigs and chickens inside the house. And we had to work through all that. And I just thank God for my wife. We, we went through that and she, that first term, it was, it was rough. We thank God for the, uh, mentors that we had. We thank God for those who encouraged us from our mission agency and so forth. But, uh, the second term was totally different. It was home. We all look forward to going back. Uh, you know, after that furlough, we just long to go back home and really, again, I do count it a privilege raising kids on the mission field because, um, there are certain things, you know, the Bible tells us to train up our children and uh, that is much easier to do in that culture than, uh, mm. you know, in American culture sometimes. Um, uh, just, again, thankful for my kids, the way the culture and the environment, uh, you don't do a lot of traveling at night for safety reasons. And so we were able to uh, have evenings, oftentimes evenings together as a family. So family devotions, family discipleship, uh, just every night, year after year is just huge in developing that uh, family relationship and so forth. Uh, and we got our kids involved. We, we would go out, uh, our kids would be involved every week in outreach and in ministry and on Sunday. And uh, I look forward to what we call daddy dates every Friday. You know, I'd take the kid, one of the kids out uh, for a meal. And then we would do outreach with the church on Fridays. And uh, so, yeah, uh, you know, I know some, some things about missions, depending on the country, are very exotic and, and very uh, romantic and so forth. But it, in principle, we're doing the same thing you guys are doing. We're just doing it on the other side of the world. And so uh, very, very thankful for that opportunity uh, to, to raise our family in Africa. It was a blessing. You mentioned not traveling at night for safety reasons, which kind of helps folks understand that Cameroon could tend to be a little bit more of a hostile mission field. And God calls missionaries to go to a lot of different places. Some of those are relatively safe um, for your quality of life, you know, your physical quality of life. But, you know, you all had some interesting experiences. You, you, your kids were raised in an environment where things were normal there that wouldn't be normal here. Um, how did that factor in? And even going beyond your family, but I mean, how did that factor into how you did ministry there in Cameroon? Yeah, it's a learning process and you adjust, but uh, it, everybody else is living through the same thing. So um, I remember one time we did go through, um, it, I mean, basically Cameroon, even to this day, is in a civil war. There are two regions out of the 10 that are trying to separate or there are separatists and a movement to do that anyway. And so, um, yeah, it was interesting that um, uh, we were coming home one night after church and I was kind of like the bus route, you know, if people could get there, I would drop them off on the way home. And so there was a lady in the back seat and she was talking and she, they weren't talking to me, but I was listening because I was driving and I was overhearing. And she said something to the, the other lady back there. And the other lady said, well, have you heard from your kids lately? And she said, oh, yeah, my kids really want me to leave. They want me to move to America. But, you know, I'm working here and this is where I live. And, and they said, no, you got to get out of there. It's, it's not safe. It's this. It's that. I mean, when did, when did Pastor Ben leave? And she's like, Pastor Ben didn't leave. He's here. He's Cameroonian. <laughs> and that just meant so much to me. Yeah. I, I mean, can't even express how much that meant. And so, um, yeah, we, we take it as they take it. We, you know, you, you take on the, uh, the uh, issues and the burdens and the challenges and the joys and the advantages when you move to a different country. You take on all of that and you live as the people to reach the people uh, as far as the uh, scripture and, and the gospel will go, of course. Yep. I want to be mindful of, of the next thing that I'll bring up, but you have openly used what I'm about to ask you as a tool for the Lord and God has used it. But obviously the passing of Charles Wesco in 2018 was, was very difficult for, for you and your family. Um, 
that's where your family and ministry came into direct contact with a lot of that conflict. Um, I just wondered, and I know that we've got to move on after this to, to the issue of min, min, missionary partnerships, excuse me, but could you just take a moment, explain what happened there, how God worked through it and the way that you view that, that tragedy now? Yeah, taking that in a moment, that would be a challenge. Um, basically, as briefly as I can, we, we've been serving there for years. We feel very strongly about uh, serving as a team and partnerships and so forth. We see that as a biblical pattern. So we were praying for more co-laborers. We have great co-laborers there among the Cameroonians at this point. But uh, we just felt, you know, Lord, would you give us some co- co-workers here in Cameroon? Raise up some more American missionaries to serve in Cameroon. And the Lord put us together with the West Coast. It was definitely his design. While they were on deputation, this conflict, the civil war escalated and broke out. Uh, for the most part, it's between the separatists and the military. So the rest of the 5 million people living in those two regions, you know, if you just keep your head down and call ahead and make sure you don't go into something intentionally, everybody was for the most part, uh, um, you know, stay out of, stay out of the thing. But um, yeah, one day as we as we continue to seek the Lord, seek counsel, follow His Word, we had total confidence and peace that God uh, wanted us to remain there, preaching the gospel and planting churches. So we continued doing that. And one day on the way to town, completely unexpectedly, we had called ahead; everything was normal, fine, safe. Uh, our car was attacked, and Brother Charles was shot and killed. And uh, wow, turned our world upside down. And I found myself and our family, we found ourselves escorting the Wescos, Stephanie and their eight children back to the States, wondering what in the world we're supposed to do next. We didn't know um, what, what God was doing. You know, God, we prayed for this. We, we're confident we're in the center of your will. Yeah. So wh- how does this fit? And uh, the Lord really burdened me to take his testimony uh, during that next year, really across the country from coast to coast in Bible colleges, local churches, Christian schools, sharing his testimony and, and just preaching a great commission challenge. And the Lord did use that incredibly. We began from his memorial service, praying for 100 new missionaries to Cameroon. And uh, there's the first family is on deputation right now with Baptist World Mission headed to Cameroon. There are three men in Cameroon right now seeking the Lord's direction and will for their lives in Cameroon. And so from human perspective, bringing, you know, bringing a missionary off the field while he's praying for 100 new missionaries to Cameroon, that makes absolutely no human sense, (laughs) but God is using it. And um, during that year, we saw scores, scores of young people surrender their lives to missions. We saw more than 20 uh, uh, make a public confession that they believe God was calling them to Cameroon. Uh, we're going to continue following up and praying about that. There have been more than a dozen people that we know of directly as a result of hearing uh, Brother Charles' testimony in different states and different countries uh, have trusted Christ as their Savior. And so, again, God sees the end from the beginning. Here we were praying for Amen. co-workers with our family and God is using it to raise up dozens, where we pray, a hundred new missionaries to Cameroon. And so only God could do that. And so we are very grateful. Well, and that was- What would you say to- ahead, Martin. Um, what would you say to parents whose children are feeling called into missions and, you know, they, they, they're willing, they, they've got the right intentions, but they are nervous about the dangers that may be faced. Yeah, that is tough. And I have been in some situations where I've actually heard parents say, I will never let my kids go to the mission field because of the danger and because they don't want them far away with their grandkids and so forth. And that is tough. And the only thing I can do is continue to emphasize what the scriptures say. I am very transparent that our world is not getting better and better. Um, it is going to get more and more difficult, I believe, and more dangerous over time. And so um, 
I mean, just continue to encourage them as parents to surrender their lives uh, as well as the lives of their children. And going back to that uh, question that Brother Tom had earlier about those early influences, I, I will never forget that night at camp when I called my mom and said, I believe God's called me to be a missionary. And I can only wonder if my mom had said something like you said, Brother Stephen, uh, are you sure? You know, it was kind of like there was this pause and she was trying to process what that would mean. Because I, of course, as a young, I, I hadn't processed what that meant. My mom was already thinking kids and grandkids, you know, she was already, and she said, Ben, we've raised you guys to serve the Lord. And if this is what God has for you, we are behind you 100%. I, I could not have asked for a oh, more encouraging and positive, because she was thinking through what that meant. She knew that meant her grandkids were going to grow up on the other side of the world. And she knew all of that. And yet she was still mm. supportive and encouraging. And so, mm. yeah, it's tough for parents. There's no doubt about it. But, uh, you know, just like the young people need to surrender their lives, they do as well and uh, need to walk with the Lord and trust him for that. Yep. I heard missionary in Mexico, Tommy Ashcraft, say many years ago, we call it sacrifice, they call it love. And it's not just the missionary who sacrifices or the missionary's family, you know, immediate family, the people living under the same roof. It's also their extended family. Um, and of course, That's we right. praise the Lord for the modern blessings of communication and the ability to, to stay in touch with people much better than, say, you know, 100 years ago. But it's still a sacrifice. And there is there is a great respect for that. And I think I, I believe the Lord has a great respect for that. I don't think I'm stepping out on a limb to say that. I believe the Lord respects that and uh, and takes that into account when he looks at rewards and things like that. I believe that that willingness of parents to say to their children, you follow the Lord wherever he takes you. Um, you know, it's not exactly equivalent, but I went to inner city Chicago with three very small children and that was dicey at times. Um, not like what you went through, but it was dicey at times. And my parents never, never questioned me, never pushed me the other direction. Just follow the Lord. And I, I'm, I'm happy for you and happy for your parents and for all parents who are willing to do that. The mm -hmm. unsung heroes. It, definitely. Right. Yep. Well, and that the interesting thing is this, and this is this is something I, I've been wanting to add because, as we mentioned, um, late 2022, God took you off of the field in Cameroon, and now you're back home. I'm sure, I'm sure there are things that you appreciate that. But what I wanted to say to you was that when that happened, it wasn't like the Sinclair family breathed a sigh of relief and was like. Oh man, we're so glad that we can, you know, get back and and this is what we've always wanted. It was literally communicated so transparently that you were following God. And that meant so much to me and I you know, again, your kids we appreciated them when they were here. They have the same spirit and we love that about you. So with that, you know, God gave you this really big vision for Cameroon and 100 new missionaries and all of that. But now, in a sense, he's moving you to a larger field. He's moving you to the world and 275 missionaries that you work with and 4,000 supporting churches. And I guess we need to start down this path now of discussing ministry partnerships between churches and missionaries. So could you speak to that? What is your vision for what the Lord would have you to accomplish where you are now, either personally or as a mission board? Well, I'm still I'm still working through the uh, mission board, uh, you know where we are, and I keep getting asked questions about my vision and so forth. And I'm, you know, I still have two months of training and a lot going into that. But personally, <laughs> one of my passions, I can definitely speak to that. One of the thrills, one of the personal um, thrills of this uh, platform or opportunity as an executive director of a mission board and having those contacts that you just described is um, I, I'm thrilled to be an independent Baptist. I'm, I'm so thankful. Our, our movement, our circle is so missions-minded when compared with you know other groups or denominations and things out there. And so I'm thrilled about that. But I also think that we can do a better job on our missionary partnerships. The way I put it is independent Baptists, we are very missions-minded. 
more than any other, as far as I can tell. But um, I just want to encourage local churches to be more missionary minded, um, to really get to know their missionaries and strengthen the partnerships with their missionaries. And I think overall, that's going to improve and increase our missions mindedness as a whole. But sometimes I just think, in the, at least in the churches I grew up in, in my personal experiences, we support a missions program, we have a missions conference, and we give money to missions. And I just really want to encourage a development of partnerships with missionaries, having a missionary conference or uh, getting to know missionaries personally so that when I'm supporting, I'm not just giving to a fund, I'm giving to missionaries and I know them. I know their names. I know where they are. I know what their prayer requests are. And so if I can encourage that in, in this new role, I, I'm really looking forward to that wherever I go. Yeah, I love that idea of partnership. I know, you know, my experience as a missionary was very different from yours. I was supported as a missionary, but I was in my home country. And there were some churches that I really felt like they they understood. Um, but in other instances, as much as I appreciated the the financial support, I felt like I could have walked in there and nobody would have known me. And in fact, I did go to a church once that had dropped my support, but nobody in the church realized it, only the pastor knew. And so, um, you know, when you really feel like a church knows you and cares about you and cares for your children as well, and I'm sure you found this, uh, when it went beyond knowing you, but kind of knowing and loving your family as well, when you're a thousand miles away or whatever it may be, Amen. that is in, an incredible feeling. Yeah. You, you said something right. there that you caught my attention then. Um, and I don't want to trend toward the negative in the conversation, but when you say we need to do better, I wonder if there are some common weaknesses that you see uh, specifically among the independent Baptist churches that, well, I mean, we're one of them, so I'm not asking you to point out specific weaknesses about my church, <laughs> but in general, what are some things? Nobody's church in general is what I was getting at. Thank you. I get no help from my, from be, my co-host. Be specific, here. but vague. Yeah, be, be very vague, vaguely specific. <laughs> but but seriously, weaknesses that that you see on a you know on a larger scale that we could probably just address simply by you know what you said by having that missionary conference, that missionary partnership, and that constant contact between them. Again, I can I can only speak to my experience and my growing up in the churches, but I think a lot of churches have this mentality. And again, this emphasize so many times pastors will be introduced as this. He's a very missions minded uh, pastor or their church is so missions minded. And again, I don't want to sound negative because I'm not, I'm thankful uh, for that. And, and I'm thankful for that truth as, as an independent Baptist. But as an example, um, I was in a church once and this church supported, it, it wasn't even a huge church, but they supported a ton of missionaries. So again, I thank God for that. But this guy came up to me afterwards and he said, well, I hope we take you all on for support because you can't take on too many missionaries, right? And I really started to think about that question. Is, is it possible for a church to take on too many missionaries? And the answer that I came to was, yeah, if they don't really know the missionaries till they get to the level where they're just giving to a program, then maybe maybe they are uh, maybe they do have too many missionaries. So I think that idea of you know we support well let's see how many do we support we we support more than a hundred missionaries to me that kind of communicates to the missionary as a missionary yeah they, the guy literally doesn't even know how many church how many missionaries he supports he just said more than 100 and i'm just going to be one of those statistics and i'm going to be thankful for that check and i'm going to do what god has called me to do but it seems i'm not going to really be able to have a connection with this church because i'm just going to be a statistic i don't know if that answers your question but that that kind of thing i would love to improve uh if we can I think the flip side of that is it makes it very difficult for the missionary if he's got just a vast amount of churches that support him. And again, we're always grateful for it. And I understand we want to be very, not, you know, 
um, aware of that fact. So, but if you have, you know, 50 churches that you communicate with, it's different than if you've got 500, which I know is kind of an extreme, but it, it kind of helps the missionary to have a, an awareness of who supports him and be able to pray for the church. And there's a missionary we both know. And, um, you know, he called me the other day and was talking and was asking my advice on things. And it genuinely felt like a partnership. And I think that's something which from the church's side and the missionary side can really be a, a radical, a radical thing. Yeah. I appreciate you mentioning that it is definitely both ways. It is definitely a two way communication and street. I pray for each of our supporting churches every Sunday morning. I try to reach out to them. Some reach back and then we can develop those uh, relationships and partnerships. Some are just content to get our prayer letter every two months and uh, I'm fine with that too. But uh, yeah, it's an excellent point that the partnership, it goes both ways and I hope to encourage our missionaries to develop that as well. But your your concept of that is not just this is your preference or this is, you know, your your idea of what would be good for missionaries. Your concept of missionary partnership is driven by your understanding of the word of God. That's what you genuinely believe the Bible teaches. It's not just we think this will be a good idea as a missionary, as a missions director, but your study of the word of God has brought you to that and you've had the opportunity to write about that and take a moment and just sort of express that a little bit. I, I appreciate that. I, I do think that sometimes we can get the idea that uh, missionaries are something and missions is something that the missionary does for the local church. Whereas when I study the scriptures, I see that missions is something we do through the local church. And uh, that's biblical. Um, I have, as you just mentioned, the writing, I have, I have, been able by God's grace to write a book called Missionary Partnership. And it begins a very, the first third of the book probably is a theology of missions. What does the Bible say about missions? Um, I That kind of developed because uh, I remember stating in a missions conference that the Bible is a missionary book. And I thought, well, if, I, if I'm going to say that, I better back it up so that <laughs> sometimes when I read the read the Bible, uh, I look for themes. And so that year I said, you know, I'm going to look for missions uh, in as a theme in my scripture reading through the Bible this year. And it, it blew my mind. It was amazing. You know, we say things like missions is the heartbeat of God and, and uh, the Bible's a missionary book and um, different things. But it's based in scripture, as you just said, that you can't get away from the theme. I'm, I, mean, I just preached Sunday and I made the comment that from the first from the first command in the Bible, God said, be fruitful, multiply and replenish or fill up the earth. And it's because he had this vision, this goal, this purpose that there would be people from every kindred tongue, people and nation uh, praising and worshiping him forever. And that had to start with you know, Adam and Eve having children. I mean, this was his, this was his uh, long-term vision. It was missions. And so we see that theme through scripture and, and I just am grateful for that. So you have written on it, you've written a great book on it, but just in case, as people were listening, we moved beyond it so quickly that they didn't hear, tell us what the title of the book is and tell us where they can get it. Because I think that people are going to want that. I think they. I think we need it. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. It's only uh, available on Amazon. So um, Amazon, you can do a search for Ben Sinclair, or you can do a search for Missionary Partnership. Um, we have a few books there, three books there on Amazon, and hopefully one. I don't know. In all my spare time, we'll be able to get a discipleship book that we used for many years in Cameroon. We're, we're editing that and making it. Uh, available for all the English-speaking countries, um, but it's a 31-week discipleship course that we put together, and hopefully that'll be available uh, within time. So Missionary Partnership is the name of the book, and it is available on Amazon. One of the things you talk about in that book is the importance of having a church missions policy. And there may be some people who are unfamiliar with that term, so would you briefly explain what that is and why it's helpful to a church? Well, I think a good way to explain that would be, okay, the United States of America is not run by the president or even the uh, 
houses of Congress and so forth, it, we're subject to a constitution that gives us our principles and policies. And I think it's wise when a church has policies in place, a missions policy that can uh, somewhat eliminate the emotional and uh, give some clarity to, okay, you know, brother so-and-so in the church, his nephew is going into this type of ministry and it's called a mission. Um, can we support them? I, I, it helps guide the church in their purpose and what they want to use their missions funds for and how they want to partner with those missionaries. And so um, that's basically what a missions policy is. It's principles that are driven from the scriptures and guide the church in what they want to do with their missions program so that it can eliminate some of the more sticky questions and emotional issues that might come up right. in tough calls and tough decisions. Yeah. Yeah. I want to come back to that and maybe a little bit more into the implementation of a policy like that, but you had to have done quite a bit of research in writing the book among agencies, missions agencies, churches, and, and missionaries. Was there anything about that that really stood out about the responses that you received maybe in researching that? Is that, is that something that you can speak to? You mean like uh, surprises in my research, like doing the research and coming back and finding, whoa, I wasn't expecting that, that those kind of surprises? No, I think, or yeah, I think that'd be helpful to hear and anything that, uh, probably a little bit of both. Okay. Um, well, there were certain things that I've heard for years. And when I would ask people, you know, where did, where did you get that statistic or where, you know, where, how did you find that? Um, I would never get answers. And so I, I did send out a lot of surveys for the book, um, surveys to Baptist churches, pastors, uh, surveys to mission agencies and surveys to missionaries. So the mission agencies were exceptionally valuable because they represented, um, thousands and thousands of missionaries. And, uh, they also represented thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of supporting churches, those statistics. And so, um, yeah, things that I would hear, you know, like a third to a half of all missionaries, they don't make it through deputation. That, that's just not true. Um, basically from what we discovered, it's, it's less than 9% of, you know, independent Baptist missionaries that start, and that's sad, but you know, these are, these are statistics that are thrown around out there that are just not accurate. Um, Whoa. We hear what, the majority what was that of statistic again, not less 9%. than 9% of, of missionaries right. who that go on deputation, deputation. in the field. Right. Oh, wow. Less, less than 9%. Yeah. Don't make it to the field. Whereas I've been, I've been told. I think it's the reverse of what. Uh, I'm sorry. That, yes, I'm saying it backwards. Yeah, you're right. A, you're right. Well, no, because I wasn't so sure. More if, than, if more than 91. Even, there you go. Yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm, yes. So more than 91% no, okay. make it to the field. Less than 9% do not make it to the field or drop out. And yet we're oh, told okay. that a third to a half drop out. So yeah, sorry. Yeah, that would definitely be shocking. Yeah, no, no, you were fine. Um, no, no, you were okay. It, it was because I think you started, you know, from where you started saying, you know, the statistic that people say yeah. is a third okay. to a half, but in reality, it's it's 9% that don't make it. And so, um, okay. so it's actually okay. a much better picture than maybe some people thought in that over 90% who begin, they, they you know, continue to the there field. This is why we have Martin on the podcast. Quality control. That's that's what <laughs> there it is. You go. There you <laughs> the go. great thing is I'm not we we're not editing this out. This is going in, baby. <laughs> I'm not good with numbers, but I'm good with English, and, and that's where um. Oh, Stephen okay. Oh, That is a great thing, though. I mean, because as challenging <laughs> as furlough and deputation and all that is, I mean, I you know for that number to get to where yeah. they're going. I mean, that's a tremendous thing. And again, a good reflection on the on the Baptist churches that are a part of that. You mentioned before the, you know, missions being a strength. And I think that definitely reflects it. Another encouraging one was that um, I've heard that, quote, the majority of missionaries leave after one term. 
And uh, that's another one. They drop out during their first year. Whereas actually surveying the mission agencies that are there, they have the statistics. The actual fact from Independent Baptist is an average tenure is just over 15 years per missionary. Now, I know we've got some, uh, we've had two this last year who are just honored in our mission board after 50 years of service. So, I mean, those, you know, that kind of balances things. But the fact is, when missionaries do go through that and they're called and they're properly supported and partnered, they do last. And so that was really encouraging to me. Another one that was challenging was that um, almost a third of missionary, uh, excuse me, almost a third of pastors have never visited one of their missionaries on the field, almost a third. And so that kind of goes to this idea of, hey, you know, I support over 100 missionaries, but if the guy's never been there, to that, that is something I would really like to encourage pastors to get out there, develop those partnerships, get out there on the field, see what's going on, recognize names and places from prayer letters, uh, family and, you know, I think that would be huge. We've uh, really encouraging pastors to get out there and visit their missionaries on the field. And, and I think that's good for church members who are listening to hear that, you know, there could be a lot of reasons why a pastor hasn't done that. And hopefully none of those reasons are a lack of interest. Um, some, they may feel like they can't spend the money or the church wouldn't want them to spend the money, but in actuality, the church needs to encourage their pastor to do Amen. that. And if you have a strong missions giving church, then that should be built in. Is that is that a correct assessment of what yes. what you're encouraging? I think that would be great. I would encourage using even missions funds to do that to develop that partnership if it came down to that. Yeah, definitely. Amen. Yeah. Along those lines, another statistic. I don't know how far you want me to go with that, but uh, sure. uh, the average independent Baptist missionary has more than sixty supporting churches or more than sixty supporters which going back to what Martin said earlier, makes it very difficult on furlough and, and communication and partnership. Um, it, it makes it very difficult. Yeah. And that was a major theme of your book, um, which really was so eye opening to me um, in that because that number of supporting churches is on average so high, developing close relationships between a missionary and 60 supporting churches you know, he also needs to be a missionary, right, and a father and, you know, a Christian and all the other stuff he's supposed to be, um, mm -hmm. that essentially it becomes problematic to develop the sort of missionary partnership that you explained in the book was biblical, which then led to your concept in the book of decreasing the number of missionaries we support and increasing the amount we support our missionaries for. Mm. Uh, can you speak just a little bit to that? Yeah, I would, I would rather say taking on fewer m missionaries at a yeah, okay. higher percentage of their support than decreasing. Cause sometimes when you say fewer <laughs> missionaries, they get, they get that idea of cutting. So oh, I no, know, no. I know what you're saying, but go ahead. We have to remember who is asking the question. Tom Brennan's asking <laughs> the question, man. He's, he's cutting them out. The, bottom, the whole idea here is for Ben to clean up my reputation in this area. <laughs> oh boy. If, if, a, if a pastor is starting a church, he can start from scratch that's that's much easier uh, if a pastor inherits, which most pastors do, they inherit a missions program. I do not encourage them to start reducing the number of their missionaries. I, I guess an overview would be um, the average independent Baptist missionary uh, takes on, I think, five new missionaries every four years, something like that. And so my desire would be rather than taking on five new missionaries every four years, take on one new missionary every four years. Um, I was just recently in a conversation this week with uh, someone in a group, and they made the comment that they were excited that their church was, uh, their in missions giving had increased, and they were planning to take on 13 new mi uh, missionaries in the next year. My, If that pastor came to me, I would encourage them, look, why don't you consider taking on maybe two new missionaries really getting to know them, have them in, not just for a Sunday morning and boom, they're gone, but have them in, spend you know the day or the week with them. If it's a missions conference, have them in different people's homes, different meals, connect with two missionaries and really partner with them 
so that your church knows them and they know you. And when the needs come up, uh, there's a connection. And so that's kind of what I'm saying. Okay, yes, you count, you inherit, if you're a pastor listening, and you inherit a, a missions program and you already have 30 or 50 missionaries, rather than um, take on 13 new missionaries next year, just focus on one or two and get to know them and really develop that idea of partnership. So, yeah, that that is definitely kind of the bottom line. I know, um, and I really appreciate the way you ask it too, because it seems like when this discussion comes up, everybody wants to go right to finances, but you men are not asking that. You're asking about the partnership aspect. And I think, yes, where your treasures, there will your heart be also. I think if you really have a, a dear partnership with a missionary and it's really flowing out of your church and your um, desire, and again, your local church, then you are going to support that missionary because your your Amen. purse or your finances follow that. But yeah. uh, my my goal is to really encourage that partnership and let the financial part roll out of that or flow out of that. And I think that idea of it being it's, it's finances, but it's not only; it's as well as. And I think there's you know several things in, in Philippians. Uh, four when it talks about um, fellowship and there's a Greek word and it's translated fellowship, partnership, distribution, communication, dependent on the context. And it just shows you how rich that word is when Paul is thinking about, you know, his, his supporting churches like at Philippi and Philippians four is, is to me, it's a, it is a, a support letter. You know, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. I mean, that's the context to me is missions. Um, and in, in second Corinthians, a passage often used for faith promise or grace given, um, you know, they gave of themselves and then they gave of their, their wallets. And so I, I love that kind of over all mm-hmm. perspective, um, that it's as well as, but it's not only. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Philippians you know, is so rich. I, I, there's the second chapter of my book almost entirely focuses on, Paul's prayer letter to his supporting church in Philippi is how I view it. And uh, it mm-hmm. does, it breaks down exactly what you're talking about. I, I talk about moral support and prayer support, reentry support, communications, all these different areas that are in in the letter, the, the epistle to the Philippians. It's all in there. Uh, these are all principles. So th- yeah, I totally agree with that and love that book of the Bible for sure. As I'm listening to this and thinking about how helpful it is to me right now. Like I'm just thinking about our church, what God's allowing us to do, but then you're helping me with so many things that I, I really should be thinking about. And so I, I don't think your, your intent is to correct anybody in this, but rather to balance um, because that's what I need. I, I need that balance. And so I guess kind of, kind of on that, and you've, you've talked a little bit about this. So if you have more to add, I wanted to ask this question. A lot of times, the slowest, the slowest group of people to, to move toward any kind of change is a church. And that can be a good or a bad thing, um, but it is a constant thing. When a church is trying to grow out of maybe some incomplete ideas on mission support and partnerships and move toward this balanced biblical approach that you're describing, what are some wise things that they could do at the beginning that would really help them to just get started. I mean, we can't change overnight in a lot of the cases, but but how do we start? So to begin with, I would encourage pastors and churches that the way independent Baptists are sending missionaries, um, there have been other, there are other means out there. There are other sending um, paradigms, but the independent Baptist way is biblical. I, I want to emphasize that. So we start with that. Yeah, I've heard things like, well, this whole idea of deputation is broken. It's unbiblical. I totally disagree with that. I think my book lays that out. I think deputation and furlough, I think Paul did that in 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 a sense. Um, and so uh, I explain that. So that, that should be an encouragement to the church that we don't need to throw the whole thing out. We're, we have a strong biblical foundation in the way that we're sending missionaries. But the question is, can we improve it? And yes, I believe we can improve it. And I appreciate what you said because I emphasize this in the book. Pastors don't try to change this whole thing overnight. You, you've you got 
to, I mean, again, I, I spent the first third of my book talking about a theology of missions because we need to really have the same philosophy. If, if the pastor gets a hold of this and his church is like, well, we've never done it that way before. We wanted to take on 20 new missionaries this year. You know, that kind of idea. It's going to take time for the pastor to say, look, this is biblical. Supporting missionaries is biblical. Sending them out, partnering with them, having them come back and update. All of this is biblical. Um, but how can we improve it? And that may take some years. That may take years mm. of educating people so that they're on the same page and the same level and have the same burden and maybe even becomes their request. Hey, um, maybe maybe we could really focus on this particular missionary and, and whatever. But uh, that idea of, yes, it is going to take time. I pretty much end the book by saying, look, this may sound like a huge task to get from this idea to this idea, but start today. Please start today. Start making changes. Start educating. Start taking those baby steps right now because people have been talking about improving the independent Baptist sending paradigm for generations now. I have books going back decades in my research, and we're all coming to the same conclusions. We all want the same thing, but nothing uh, in a broad way seems to be changing. We're still kind of doing the same thing. My prayer is that pastors, individual pastors, will start making those baby step changes and that others will see how that is encouraging, how how positive it is. And so rather than naively expect, you know, thousands of independent Baptist churches to read my book and also this mass move. I really pray that it will just be one church at a time and an area will get a hold of this idea and it will just grow gradually so that it can be sustainable and, and long-term. Well, that's great. And I was thinking as well, I mean, kind of a step as well, it seems like would help as if in Bible colleges, you know, those training pastors would say, Hey, when you go out there and get into missions. And so, missions programs as they are taught to pastors and my experience of american you know colleges is is limited um but saying to the pastor you know to the students in the classroom when you become a pastor hey consider this and we would recommend your book as a textbook we don't get any cut or like you know so I'm not trying to, trying to raise money here, but, um, no. you know, getting that book into colleges and like students before they're in a position where they have to start making decisions, it's all part of that preparation. I agree. That would be great, man. That's awesome. This, this conversation um, behind the scenes, I think the devil's done a lot to try to keep it from happening. And yet it's gone so well. And I appreciate this today. I wish we had more time to keep going, but my understanding is that, um, Dr. Sinclair, you have a um, a bit of a summary on the issue. And so we'd just like to take the rest of the time that we have today to give you an opportunity to summarize this issue of missionary partnerships as we close out the episode today. Romans 10, 14 and 15 say, And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? The word missionary comes from the Latin word meaning sent one. A missionary today is a God-ordained servant sent by his local church to cross geographical, cultural, and language barriers to proclaim the gospel, baptize and train disciples, and plant churches. We are to send missionaries to all peoples in all regions of the world. Not all Christians are called to be foreign missionaries, but all Christians must participate in sending missionaries. This biblical mandate to send missionaries requires much more than money. According to Paul's inspired prayer letter to his supporting church in Philippi, we learn that biblical missionary partnership includes sending missionaries with moral support, prayer support, communication support, logistical support, financial support, co-worker support, and re-entry support. Yes, all of that is seen in the short letter to the Philippians. While we passionately believe that independent Baptist sending model is biblical, we just as passionately believe that our methods can be improved. We believe that churches must do the work of the Great Commission through their missionaries, 
rather than simply supporting missionaries to do missionary work. We must not be content with sending checks. We must all be passionate about our personal responsibility of sending and partnering with missionaries. We must accept that missionaries are not substitutes or external agents of the church. Missionaries are church members who the church sends for the glory and in the power of the one who is building his church. Passionately, Stephen, Tom, Martin, and Ben.